Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of the Trademark Podcast. I'm joined today by Trademark Stefano Nuno and uh, our guest for today, Paul Connell. Um, Paul hails from Dublin, but he's now based in Manchester and teaches law at SOAS in London. Um, Paul's also a trade union activist and a socialist activist and one of the founding members of the uh, Leave, Fight, Transform campaign, which looks to sort of advance a socialist uh, transformative vision of post-Brexit Britain. Um, it's long overdue, but thanks for coming on, Paul. Thanks for having me on, that's happy to be on. What did you say uh, in all these American shows? Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, there's any number of things that we could talk to you about, Paul. Um, the EU, uh, of course, is a big one. <laughs> the absolute state of the British Labour Party. Um, uh, Marcus theory and, and the state uh, and law. There's any number of things we could talk to you about. Um, you've written about these things and you've discussed them on, on other forums. Like, Well, we thought we'd pick up on a discussion that we've been having privately, and that's on the, the role of political education within working class movements. We've been having conversations over the past number of weeks, and we thought it would be useful just to, to record one of these conversations um, and, and uh, you know, see what people make of it. So I'll just start with you, Paul, um, like a diagnosis, I suppose, of, of the problem. Um, yeah. why, is, why is working class political education needed, uh, not yeah. in Britain and in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, this, it's the sort of central question. I know we've got about 45 minutes or so, we could literally spend a couple of days over several points and coffees uh, discussing all this and still not get through all of it. But, but, but in summary, basically, working class education is needed so desperately now because of the defeats of the past and the destruction of uh, working class and socialist organisations over the last 50 years, over the last 100 years, taking a longer view, but certainly over the last 50 years. And it's needed now because we're in the midst of um, and this isn't just about Corona, Corona and, and sort of the COVID pandemic and so forth is a, is a specific instance and a specific sort of accelerant of a much deeper structural crisis of capitalism, which has been unfolding. Whenever you want to start the clock, you lads have covered this in the podcast. You can start the clock with the sort of um, decline in rates of profit from the late 60s into the early 70s, or you can start it with 2008 with the more sort of recent conjunctural crisis around the uh, portion of the, the, the subprime mortgage uh, bubble in the US. But because capital is in crisis, and because uh, those who suffer most under capitalism, even when it's working well, in sort of scare quotes, uh, at a working class. And so in the period of crisis, the working class are going to suffer even more. Uh, and people, again, are starting to get a sense of this, of what's coming down the line on the other side of this lockdown, the levels of unemployment, the sort of various forms of uh, austerity that will be imposed, whether it's in Ireland, Britain, the US, risk of clawback, the spending that was done to cover the initial reaction to this. So because we're under attack as a class, uh, because we're facing... Uh, devastating crisis, environmental um, and, 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 and economic and so forth. We need working class organisation, we need to build working class power, but to do that we need education because in the absence of education we end up going down unnecessarily dead ends that we could avoid in advance. And I hope that. Yeah, uh, Stevie you've been involved in political education for a very long time. Um, for you, what is it about this this moment that, mean, that means a revival of Socialist political education is, is necessary. I think it's just, I don't want to kind of parrot what Paul said, but it's the neoliberalism as the latest kind of version of capitalism has been at this a long time. It's a 50 year project. So it's not just as if we're kind of starting afresh to rebuild 
working class organisations and institutions, we have to kind of, kind of deconstruct the embedded narratives of, of capitalism. People believe in that system. People believe in the stories about why that system is running on. We can't have. And it's back to that old quote about there is an alternative or the quote about people can see the end of the world before they can see the end of capitalism. All of that stuff's got to be deconstructed at the same time as building something. And that's, there's a real tension there and a contradiction there. That when we go into rooms with people, you're spending all of your time deconstructing the narratives about how capitalism is brilliant before you can even talk about organising for an alternative. And so we're in a worse position now than probably we've ever been in 100 years, actually. Um, and we're facing all these different existential crises. So I think it has to be a recognition on the left of those of us involved in political education, and there aren't that fucking many of us involved in political education, that deconstruction is nearly as important as rebuilding. And how you do those things at the same time, I'm not entirely sure yet, because we're, kind of we're kind of all experimenting, aren't we? You know, we're kind of trying things out and see if they work. So I think that argue, the idea of deconstruction and rebuilding needs to be talked about a bit more. Yeah, I think we're talking about a long haul. We're talking about the, the long haul, the long, hard, uh, sort of uh, messy work um, over a long period of time. Uh, Paul, I might ask you, what did, uh, I think it's important to understand that, that the really good uh, examples of working class institutions and traditions that exist in the past and really, yeah. really good examples of, of uh, edu political education emerging from the working class movements. What did they look like in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, what's happened to them? That's a, I mean, that's a really important point. Um, one, of, one of the sort of frustrating things at the moment, um, especially, is that there's a, there's a generation of newer activists um, who, who are entering into these struggles. But because of the defeats in the past, we don't really have the um, institutional memory that our class should have. I mean, this, is, this is what sort of revolutionary cater organizations were supposed to do, or part of what they were supposed to do, was to retain that institutional memory and to retain the lessons of the past so that when new activists came along, they didn't have to find out the hard way necessarily what the nature of state power was what the limitations of reformism was you could go into that eyes open you could still engage with let's say for example the reason Corbyn experience here in Britain but you could do it with eyes open without any illusions about what was going on um, and because of the defeats of the last you know 50 60 plus years uh, that, that has evaporated but long long even even prior to the existence of the British Labour Party I'm focusing very much um, on the British context which is where I'm based primarily now um, but even the British context so long before the Labour Party being an, an inkling in sort of uh, Keir Hardy's eye there was an awful lot of independent working class radicalism and working class organisation in Britain and in fact I'd say the Labour Party is a product of the defeat of the working class uh, in Britain rather than being a sort of glorious historical monument to it so the Chartist movement uh, which was the real sort of uh, the real sort of forced spring of working class radicalism in Britain and um, carried with it not just political organization but also very serious ideas around education and around sort of uh, independent working class education. Keith, uh, Keith Fleck, I think is the guy's name, has written an excellent book on chartism and education, um, charting the different ways in which they the approached it at different points in time. There's also Jonathan Rose's book, An Intellectual History of the British Working Class, which sets out various things from the socialist Sunday schools, which had their origins in sort of earlier religious Sunday schools and then sort of built on that. Um, there's um, in Wales, for example, in the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, there were uh, 30, plus, uh, 30 or 40 plus uh, miners' libraries. So libraries funded by the miners themselves with some contributions compelled from the employers, which facilitated education in a broader sense. Uh, it wasn't always political education, but education in a broader sense in those working class communities. So we had all sorts of institutions which grew organically out of working class communities. Now, 
the big changes that have happened, obviously, structurally and objectively, are changes in the sort of uh, relations of production uh, today. Uh, in sort of terms of, in terms of the, the ways in which employment and, and sort of uh, and, and work is conducted, you don't so much have whole towns built around a single industry. You don't so much have that sort of relative cultural uh, and, and and sort of um, workplace hegemony. Uh, sorry homogeneity that you had in the past, you've got the breakdown, especially in Britain, of sort of traditional working class institutions and cultures. And along with that, we've lost all these education institutions, as well as that, a lot of the, the, the sort of energy of, of the working class in Britain is now sapped by the Labour Party and has been for the last 80 years. That sort of the parliamentary route to reform has been seen as a dominant one. The trade union movement has become bureaucratized and concerned mainly with the sort of bread and butter issues of managing campaigns. The decline in union membership over the last 40 years, it's gone from being, it's, it's gone from being so it's, it's now half of what it was in the in the mid 70s in terms of uh, overall union members in Britain. So you've had that general decline of the working class as a class, and so we've lost all these institutions in the past that we had, which were Sunday schools, uh, libraries, um, organisations embedded in the communities and in trade unions which provided education. And it doesn't when exist. When you say that, Paul, though, when, you, when you're talking about that amazing tradition that exists in Britain, and I'm kind of thinking sitting here in in, in rural County Down. Those yeah. traditions, I, I've never come across them in Ireland. Or maybe it's just me because I'm an interloper, um, yeah. you know, I'm blowing. But do those traditions, Sean, exist in Ireland? I mean, are those institutions that take back? Because I, my only recognition of those kind, of, that kind of a support of that idea of holding the, the torch for other people coming in, so you can learn off other people. There was a little bit of that in the northern part of the trade union movement through through some of the CP members who who tended to congregate around education and education departments to some of the bigger unions. But is there a bigger story there or not, Sean? Yeah, there's a bigger story, but it's it's more hidden. Those books about that that tradition, those institutions in Ireland haven't been written. Um, mm-hmm. but, but those the, they do exist. You look at the Irish Revolutionary period, um, and even in the 1930s, you had, which is a real period of radicalism in Ireland. You had like huge public meetings happening, um, in lectures. You had reading groups. Um, you had a branch of the Left Book Club established in in Ireland. Um, there was a workers' college established in Dublin by the communists and the Republican left. They were looking at Republican history, but they're also doing serious heavy Marxist theory. Like if you look at the, some of the some of the um, curriculums that were produced at the time, and then you had institutions like the mechanics institutes, the various social clubs, community organisations, um, and the WEA, the Workers' Education Association, which emerged sort of in the 1930s and in the 1940s. And like every generation and um, from that period up to the 1970s and 80s produced the like, real uh, stalwarts of, of the working class movement who were self-taught intellectuals uh, and had a real impact on, on those movements. So you, you begin with Conley, but then you're also talking about Pat O'Donnell and Betty Sinclair in the 1930s. You had Brian O'Neill and Sean Murray. There's a, there's a good wee book about Sean Murray that's out there like, if anyone wants to pick it up. Um, and then within the, the trade union movement, you know, from the 1940s through to the 70s and 80s, there was a vibrant shop stewards movement and trade unionists at that time were pillars of their communities. You know, they weren't just trade unionists working on employment matters, they were experts in housing and health and education and they were able to present the sort of popular uh, Marxist analysis of, of the world. Um, and the individuals that you refer to, the people I'm thinking of, are like Sean Morrissey, for example, who's the 
the education officer with the with the TNG. Um, he was also chair of the Tenants Association. He had a background in, in the Republican movement, but um, you know, the people like that had a real uh, it was that militant minority within um, Irish working class politics and trade unionism had a real impact. And obviously, they were outweighed by the more conservative tendencies that operated in Ireland, but they, they were there nonetheless. But it's gone, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's disappeared. Does it exist anywhere now in the Irish or indeed British Labour movements? Perhaps in the British Labour, there's better examples, I don't know, small pockets where it still exists. But in Ireland, you'd be hard pressed to find those spaces that are shown that are full of organic intellectuals or working class intellectuals that, that can teach, that can talk, that understand theory, mm. that can speak to their, their comrades mm. in the communities. So I've got a specific view on this, and again, it's it's sort of partly born of my own experience, but also from looking at it, in that so the, the fall in Britain has been bigger than the fall in Ireland purely because it wasn't as well developed in Ireland, and it yeah. wasn't as well developed in Ireland because yeah. of the the national question, for want of a better word. So for for decades in Ireland, for a hundred plus years, the the struggle for national independence in one form or another has taken quite often the, the, the best of the Irish radical working class uh, and they've drawn themselves into different iterations of that whether in the revolutionary period the civil war the border campaign uh, then the actual uh, conflict that, that picked up again from the, from the late 60s onwards and that then led to generally speaking uh, death imprisonment and or born out you know depending on map and, and so we never really developed to, to the same extent as they had that they did in Britain or in continental Europe, the independent working class traditions. So interesting, and I think this is important, and it's this is something that certainly gets looked at, uh, overlooked by sort of um, bourgeois and middle class uh, historians and radicals and so forth. The Irish tradition in particular has always been a heavily oral tradition, uh, and so actually in working class communities right throughout Ireland, different aspects of that history are retained through song, through story, through all these mm -hmm. things, and, and people do pass on understand. I mean, it's quite often partial, it's quite often sort of hazy and so forth. So that has been retained uh, to some extent, but it has hampered the development of really independent working class groups. And I don't know of anything, and I grew up in Dublin in, in sort of Kilbarrick, uh, there, was, there was nothing like that in and around there for all of my life, and there isn't anything now at the moment. Um, both of you were involved in the anti-water charge movement as well. We had a stab at doing some stuff in and around mm. that. I certainly, I was living in, in London and I was doing reading groups through Facebook with people back in Dublin trying to do that, but there was no structured process. There was no support, let's say, institutionally from the unions. Needless to say, there was no support from the Irish Labour Party um, or from Sinn Féin or like that, so it hasn't really been, been sort of pursued as far as I can see. And over here, there's been no real systematic way of, of sort of trying to rebuild it so far um there's been lots of, of sort of distinct efforts by ngos and so forth but they're not the same thing as building independent working class uh education we still do at least say to the move to manchester we've got the working class history museum here we've got sort of some connections to that tradition but it's it's yeah. definitely a long way from where we need to be yeah so just just the odd i suppose we um I think we exported a lot of our good people as well to Britain. <laughs> if you look at the, you know, you look at the working class movements, the, the radical traditions that exist in Britain, you can see a real Irish imprint on them in, in London and the Manchester where you are, uh, Paul and, and Liverpool and Glasgow and places like that. The end of the Labour Party. You mentioned the right to water movement and the, the kind of emergence of these, you know, there were classes happening in schools. And I, I remember delivering a, a session on finance capital and some John Bosco's and the yeah. room was packed and there was over a hundred people in and I mean yeah, yeah. this is this is something happening here, this is something different. And yet there 
typically of, of, of left politics, everyone's not dragged into that electoral space to talk about electoral politics and parties yeah. got involved. They were only involved to garner votes, really. That was the whole purpose of their involvement. <clears throat> but the real radical stuff that was happening in working class communities in Dublin, but also around Ireland in towns and villages where connections yeah. were being made, where people were reading and educating themselves. Sean referred to that important tradition of you know, self-education amongst the working class. That was the exciting stuff. And, and, and that all disappeared. hasn't all disappeared, that's not fair, but the, the potential there was huge. And of course, all the energy gets fucking sucked into electoral packs and talk about left vote and all the rest of it. And now that's okay to talk about that stuff, but not at the expense of everything else. And all the other stuff just was, you know, kind of disappeared, didn't it, Sean, very quickly. And I mean, the rug was pulled out from it in about 2017, almost overnight. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you could see that the the educational work that was being done was having an impact. Like, you know, we're talking about what we're talking about. It was growing our own, growing our own intellectuals who were active in their community, already active in their communities. who had no backgrounds in, in party politics, but we're looking to get involved in, in something, looking to organize their communities and their families and, you know, you know to, to challenge the, the political establishment at, at the time. So there was, there was a huge opportunity there that, you know, sort of a small, it was a small window of opportunity, I suppose, to say, you know, they existed. The high point of it was probably reached in 2016, um, and that sort of moment was, was lost, but, but uh, there was so much more that could have been done there. There is a tradition, I mean, the electoral stuff as well. I mean, I think that the ways in which people are conditioned now to look to electoralism as the sort of ultimate horizon of politics, again, is also a failure of political education. It's a failure of political education and also a product of historical defeats. Again, mm -hmm. you think about Connolly, you know what I mean? Like Con Con Connolly's maxim for the, for the Labour movement in the 18th century, we only want the earth. That was the level of our ambition back then. Yeah. And now it's trying to scrape some sort of minimal legislative reforms by getting uh, sort of semi left-leaning sort of politician elected but that is a big problem and again it's in because you think about thomas davis for example in the sort of that, that tradition in ireland the mm -hmm. idea of edu educate that you may be free you know it's it's been something that, that we've understood and and you think about the republican movement in ireland again for, for other limitations inherent in the politics of republicanism um they had the universities of freedom you know what i mean in front yeah. and Lankesh, to a lesser extent in port leash it's always been understood that education was a central part of the political war but with the with the sort of decline in radical serious radical politics over the last sort of 20 years that's been mirrored by a decline in sort of how we think about the importance of education now because we've suffered defeats um by saying we i mean the sort of left broadly speaking have suffered defeats in the last three or four years so whether that's the sort of collapse and capitulation of Syriza, whether it's the sort of uh, decline of the movement of the squares in Podemos in Spain uh, whether it's Corbyn whether it's Sanders whether it's the sort of coup in um and the attempt the coup in, in Bolivia and the attempted coups in Venezuela, the left is on the back foot, uh, the right is on the rise, completely ascending. So now people are going to have to confront these issues. And this is why putting in place uh, structures and organizations for political education is so important. Because if I again, if I just use as a reference point, and I think you can extrapolate from this, I think there are sort of broadly simple experiences. But in Britain, through the five years of the Corbyn moment, uh, there was no real effort made to develop political education. Mm -hmm. And actually, as the ranks of the Labour Party swelled, there was no corresponding growth in trade union membership. There was no corresponding increase in trade union militancy or in building social movements in working class communities. And instead of political education, and, I'm, and, and I have to say I'm not generally a fan of podcasts, but I, I have recommended this podcast for, for a whole variety of reasons. What you've had in Britain is you've had um, the idea that 
a number of media platforms and a couple of media personalities getting onto the TV and so forth was a sufficient substitute for building the institutions of political education. And it simply isn't. And, and because you didn't develop political education, the Labour Party, for example, membership pivoted very swiftly from a decent social democratic left-wing leader to this sort of David Cameron tribute act uh, and a restoration regime in the form of Farmer. Now, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't no, have that if you'd educated the movement. Sorry, go on, Paul. I was just going to say, you, you wouldn't have that if you'd, if you'd educated the movement and you'd built confidence and understanding within. There wouldn't have been any, this mm. sort of bizarre performative thing now, if people going, oh, well, I thought Starmer was actually left. On what basis did you think he was left? Like, did, you, did, did you just not look at look at his history? Did you just not look at his politics and the nature of it and what was happening? How could you have thought that? So again, if you do the education, you've got a better chance of protecting whatever limited gains were made under corporatism because that wasn't done. We're back to square one now, and probably in worse in, in a worse state because the right has learned the lessons. The right, the right, don't mess around. The right, the right, sort of, you know, they learn the lessons and they respond accordingly. Whereas the left is still floundering a bit over here. Sorry. I think, no, yeah. I think you're right about that. That link between political education and this kind of obsession with electoralism. Now, electoralism, of course, can be an important tactic, but the problem is it's colonised the left nearly everywhere. In fact, yeah. to the point where people can't see beyond it. And, if you reject it as the main thrust of left organising, you get kind of eye-rolling and derision. So you know, you're not, you're not having big up politics, you're not growing up, this is the way things are done. And elections become the non-stop preoccupation of everybody on the left, to the detriment of fucking everything else you could possibly engage in. Because if you engage in political litigation, you can at least ask people to ask the question, are elections, are elections and, electoral, and winning elections, are they kind of engines of social transformation? Yeah. If you ask that question, you might come to the answer, I would Bolivia and Theresa and the Corbyn run. Well, actually, they're not. So if you come to that conclusion, well, that takes you in a different direction because even in success, you find defeat on the left. Because yeah. you're not challenging yeah. power. You might win government, but that's not where fucking power resides. Power resides in other places that we've transferred it to, whether it's supranational institutions. And you know, political education allows you to come to those conclusions so that you make the right fucking decisions strategically because it informs your tactics. As I was jumping onto the electoral bandwagon, you know, which was fucking every, everybody Latin now if that's the answer and it's fucking that's, those are the kinds of narratives and ideas that have to be deconstructed yeah yeah and the thing is is that it's not even and, and this is and this is again one of the sort of not not depressing but one of the big challenges for us is that these debates were had so, so the entire second international from, from from sort of the early 20th century on where the idea was you build mass workers electoral parties you win power in parliament you legislate socialism into effect and then the great depression and world war one soon put that to, soon put that to bed so these illusions have been dealt with you know what i mean and these debates have been had and worked through and that was one of the strangest things so i moved over here in 2009 and so we sort of the crisis had just hit that's why I moved because I was on the dole uh, for about a year just before I got a job over here and I got over here and so the austerity is fighting there's a growth of anti-austerity movements that was that was really positive and then the Corbyn moment comes along and Brexit and it was fascinating and also just terrifying to see how few people on the left understood the basics of the limits of reformism uh, the nature of parliamentary politics the nature of state power the history of laborism I mean this is the thing even even in the last couple of weeks over here there's been a debate on in, within momentum, so there's two left factions vying for control of momentum. Now, for my money, momentum is finished for all intents and purposes. It'll limp on as a, as a sort of zombie organisation. So it was an unfortunate and unnecessary fight. But as they were having the fights, it was it was bizarre to see the arguments they were having were almost identical to arguments on the British left in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But the people having those arguments today were having them in complete sort of um, in complete sort of um, 
ignorance of the existence of these earlier debates. So in the 60s, 70s and 80s, the Labour left, Ben and, and Tony Ben and other people, were better organised, more disciplined, operated in an environment where you had a trade union movement that was twice the size of what it is now, and they still lost. And again, that's because of, not because of failures of individuals, that's because of the structural characteristics of reformist politics in Britain, the nature of the Labour Party, how it's an integral part of the British state, the limitations of Labourism as a form of politics. So all these arguments have been had, but people are engaging those fights again as if this stuff had never happened in the past. And that's a real problem. That's something to try and get around and, and sort of um, overcome. But the other important thing about education is the empower, empowerment aspect of it. And, and again, one of the problems on the left in Ireland, which I, I've seen when I lived there and and since I've moved over here, it's the same over here, is the uh, predominance of, of middle-class voices uh, in left in left organisations and left political parties. And again, this isn't a moralistic argument. It's not sort of criticising them as individuals. It's um, the point that the, the, the whole purpose of socialism is the self-emancipation of the working class. And it's about empowering working class people to become uh, the protagonistic agents in their own transformations, their own circumstances. You can't do that. And the movement is dominated by middle class people, very strongly opinionated people who, because of history and background and socialization, feel very confident in expressing themselves. So, whereas working class people go along and end up being the fodder that's handing out leaflets and doing stuff like that. So, the education is important to empower working class people to transform their own conditions. And that's what we're trying to do. So, we'll probably come on to it later, but we're, we're developing that here in Manchester because, again, everybody on the British left is saying we need political education, but nobody was doing it. So, we just did it rather than sort of yeah. saying we need it. We just sort of started the process. But three months ago, baby steps, embryonic, uh, but been really positive so far. Um, and we've had groups from Glasgow, from Edinburgh, from London, from um, Liverpool, other parts around the, uh, Britain, reaching out to us, asking, well, what, what are you doing? And, and could we do that? And so we're trying to help other, other groups get off the ground. And it's non-sectarian. It tries to bring in working class activists from whatever group they happen to be in to engage in this sort of process of... Um, I, suppose the, I suppose the first book on the on your list of books for the, for the new education will be, you recommended it to me, Ralph Miliband's Parliamentary Socialism. If only so many yeah. members of momentum had actually read that book they could, yeah. have, could have saved themselves an awful yeah. lot of bother yeah. i have a I, like, i'm trying to work my way through some of this stuff like a large part of me thinks looks at britain and ireland and thinks you know we don't have time to build new political organizations yeah but if you have strong working class community structures if you're able yeah. to do some work um to bring to push the trade union movement in a different direction uh and you're able to work with some grassroots uh uh, socialist political activists, um, yeah. united front from below type of thing, then you might yeah. have something like a movement that exists and I think Hilary Wainwright describes it as creative tension with yeah. themselves. Um, yeah. The changes you, you might need to see, or that we do need to see. Just wonder what your view on that is, Leo, in terms of the Labour Party and the, the party political structures that exist in Ireland. Yeah. So I think that uh, so I think that this is an important point, and again, I don't I don't get to so so what what we're doing in Manchester and what we're developing here. Uh, I wrote a short article actually for the blog that that you that you mm. that you published um, on on sort of setting out an idea of political education. So so what I what we're doing in Manchester and, and sort of what what um, inspires what I'm doing. It's informed by an understanding of socialism in the first instance, because that's what. It, so so we all have these ideas whether we know them or not, and I try to be as explicit as I can be with my ideas. So it's informed by an idea of socialism, an idea of the nature of how we build uh, class power, and an idea 
idea of uh, an understanding of how change is brought about in a broad sense. So all that is in the background. And so what you're saying, I think, is key. So there's no point, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in trying to form a new political party outside of the Labour Party, at least not any sort of electoral vehicle, right? So there's this new... Mm. Workers Party TV, which is just a vanity oh, project, okay. and unfortunately, people will spend decent people who, who are disillusioned with the Corbyn um, experience will spend a couple of years and a lot of time and energy and resources into that, and it will dissipate. And it's basically a vanity project led by an individual. Um, then there's all the smaller sort of um, Trotskyist gene pool organisations that just sort of sniff around, mopping up members, and will have people selling their papers or, or pushing their stuff for next year, so and that will dissipate as well. So, my, my own view is is that. Parties, political parties are important and electoralism is important. To go back to Steve's point, electoralism is important. You can't ignore it. But if you make it your starting point, you've already lost the battle. So the starting point for me is is taking seriously the injunction and the idea of the self-emancipation of the working class, the idea of socialism from below articulated by Hal Draper. But going back to the, the founding uh, statement of the Force International, this, is, this isn't sort of some early, fairly post-68 sort of uh, leftist reconstruction. This is this is the foundation of Marxism. And you read through Marx as well. You go back to whether it's Marx's critique of Hegel's philosophy of right or Marx in capital, he makes the working class the centre of this theory. That's what it's about. For Marx, it wasn't about studying capitalism in the abstract because that was interesting. It was about trying to equip the working class. So my view is that what the what socialists should be doing is doing whatever they can in whatever way they can to build independent working class organisations and power. Now that'll mean community groups, that'll mean taking the sort of food banks over here and transform them at the air away from any idea of charity but towards a mutual aid uh, project within working class communities. But Jim Slavin and people up in uh, Edinburgh have done some good stuff uh, around this in the Comedy Association up there, building on stuff like that, but also then doing the political education side of it. The idea behind that being then that if you, if we do this, and as you said at the start, on it's the long slow stuff it's unglamorous you know you're not going to be uh on sort of question time being interviewed about or you're not going to be you know it's not going to generate um you know various sort of media uh, opportunities like that but it's the slow work of building working class confidence and working class organization now if we do that successfully over a period of time and i know what you're saying because i have that same sense as well that we don't have the time to do anything like we need to have done all of this 50 years ago <laughs> we need to have started this 50 years ago but as i said when we, when we set up the left campaign there's a mate of mine in ireland uh, john connor as he put it to me the best time to best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago the second best time to plant the tree is now you know what i mean so given that we are where we are we, this is what we should be doing if you build independent like genuinely working class organization and that has to be self-selected in some ways so you have to kind of go in and say these are the people I think we should have involved in this and people that are embedded in the communities and, and, and have a stake in it. Um, and if you do that, then in due course, that will produce, and again, you can put a time frame on it really, but that will produce uh, organizations and networks of working class activists who have a better and sharper understanding of what's going on, who've built up trust and mutual respect with each other, and who can then engage in trade unions, the Labour Party, whatever it might be, in a much more coherent and sort of cohesive way than what currently happens, which is reactive, constantly reactive, constantly sort of on the back foot, constantly trying to uh, respond to things rather than having a vision of what's going on. In Ireland, I mean, again, like the, the Labour Party in Ireland was never really the Labour Party. You know what I mean? It was never really the party of the working class. Around. And I know it's got a more complicated history, but for all intents and purposes, it's always been 
a sort of soft liberal party in Ireland that, that with, with official links to the trade union movement, but nothing beyond that. Obviously, with the crisis in Ireland since 2008, it sort of sealed its fate even forward by going to coalition mm-hmm. and, and the policies it adopted. Now they're trying to sort of rebrand themselves and, and sort of relaunch Alan, themselves. As, Alan Kelly's currently in the process of strangling the party to death. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't make it up like it. <laughs> you really couldn't. So I mean, I think I think I object. I wish all the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, God's fate. I mean, I suppose objectively, uh, Sinn Féin is the party in Ireland that has the, the firmest roots in working class communities. But even that's changed over the last 20 years. You know, I mean, Sinn Féin was like, it was years ago when Sinn Féin couldn't get, um, could, couldn't sort of, for love and money, get a place to hold their Ardesh. And in Tallaght, the community through Open's community centre, and they held the Ardesh in Tallaght in a community mm. centre because there was those organic roots and connections to the working class right throughout Ireland, uh, you know, in, in, in the south and, and up north. Over the years, that's changed. Sinn Féin has attracted in a lot of people who otherwise would have been in, but once it became a career opportunity, has attracted in a lot of people who otherwise would have been in uh, Fianna Fáil or Labour. And as such, that's changed the base of the of the party membership, and that's changed the sort of way in which they think and talk and act and so forth. So in terms of a new party in Ireland, I don't know. You, you, you two are over there at the minute. You have a better sense of it than me. I think the, the sort of various United Left initiatives over the years have been a disaster, you know, unmitigated disaster um, so I don't think I don't know if there is scope to form a new party or a new group and I don't have any benefit but even if there was you'd still have to do this sort of work we're talking about yeah. the sort of work you've been doing and it's one of the reasons why I've been like, since I've moved over here um, I've, been on, I've been on the lookout for, for sort of working class political education and it's non-existent and so I've been sort of recommending what Trademark done you know for years uh, since I first encountered what you were doing yourself and sort of was involved in some of it because it's just it's not existent elsewhere but that's what needs to be done that's what needs to be generalized uh, education in working class communities doing all the most complex most sort of uh, high-end theory stuff but doing it in a way that matters not doing it for the sake of it but doing it to equip people with the capacity to understand what's going on around them and because we're not doing that what you're seeing in ireland and i know this because even though i live over here i'm in a lot of whatsapp groups with family and friends back home because we haven't been doing the political education, conspiracy theories and reactionary nonsense has mm. taken hold at this moment of crisis. You know, people are looking around and whether it's 5G or the Illuminati or whatever it is, people, because people want answers. You know what I mean? There's a, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read The uh, Grapes of Wrath, but there's an amazing scene in that where there's a guy getting evicted off his farm and he comes out with his gun and he says to the fellow, he said, if you try and knock down my house, I'm going to shoot you. And the man says, don't shoot me. He says, I'm just doing what the, what the bank manager told me to do. He says, right, well, I'll shoot him. He says, well, don't shoot him. He's just doing what the yeah. shareholders, like, and he says, well, who can we shoot, right? And people are, people are asking that question, not explicitly, but people are looking at jobs disappearing, real wages have been declining for 20 years, you know, decent housing unavailable, uh, healthcare collapsing, education collapsing, the environment, you know, taking over, this virus is coming up, and people want an explanation and if we're not offering it there's all sorts of nut jobs on youtube telling them about lizard people and everything else so people are sort of picking up information wherever they can but we need to be doing the political education that equips people to understand the world around them and then to walk the change stevie do you want to say something about some of the work that we've we've been doing over the past years and what it is we're trying to do and whether there's any you see any op, any op, decent opportunities to uh, advance some of this stuff either in the britain or ireland well, it's funny Paul referred to conspiracy theories here because one of the first things we recognised when we were doing that really good work that we did with the Right to Water campaign, and I really enjoyed it personally, and as an organisation it developed us a lot, and I think we had an impact, but it was, they were full of conspiracy theorists. The groups that came from villages and towns and working class areas of Dublin, 
like the vast majority of them did not come from any kind of political organization or political background. They were just punters. And but they came with all sorts of weird fucking conspiracy theories. And Adab kind of was almost to police that space and to kind of say, right, well, you know, and draw a board around it and give it some sort of ideological direction. Um, and since that work has stopped, some of those people have drifted off into the back into those conspiracy theorists and indeed fucking far right nationalist party fucking and anti-immigrant and that Islamophobic. Um, because some of those anti-taxers and anti-vaxxers were kind of around the fringes of that movement. And what they needed was what we didn't provide, which was long-term, as you called it, Sean, messy, hard, slow, and commitment to, to, continue be, to continue to be there, to continue to provide that kind of direction of political education in a kind of long-term committed way. And the reason why we couldn't do it is we didn't have the resources. That was the bottom line of it. We couldn't continue to travel around Ireland and go to, we were fucking everywhere, Cork and Galway and Mayo and Donegal and all over Dublin and, and that's what was needed and that's what wasn't there. And once the kind of rug was pulled out from the bottom of it, people kind of drifted away, drifted and drifted back into different kinds of spaces. And to me, what's kind of clear is I know that some of the work we do is good. I know it has impact. I know the content's good. I know the delivery sound. We have a way of working and talking to people that people are happy to listen to us. But we always stop our programs. We always stop our work because we run into brick walls and the brick walls are always the same, which is lack of support, lack of infrastructure. Um, it's not lack of content, it's not lack of ability, it's not lack of talent even in terms of, you know, being a good tutor or being a teacher. It's the, 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 the same problem always raises its fucking head. And the other issue is lack of institutional support from those institutions in Ireland you'd expect to be getting it, which is, of course, the organised labour movement. And um, the organised yeah. labour over the last 30, 40 years, I mean, there's a workers' college in Dublin, there was a, there's a, um, next to next to Congress, I think it is, or shit. It was yeah, what's it called? People's College, yeah. People's and there was talk about four or five years ago of another workers' college, and it never got off the ground, and there's no real commitment. And the reason why there's no commitment to political education is that political education is a threat to the status quo. And they fucking know that, and that's why there's no investment in, in, in education. In terms of left political parties, I made the point before, their obsession with electoralism, that kind of non-stop preoccupation with, with rounds of elections. So you might set up a political education class, and we, we deliver education classes for all sorts of left-wing groups. And it's always the same. Fuck, Steve, we have to cancel that session because um, there's, a, there's a council election coming up and we've got to put our posters. So it always falls off the table. So there's no commitment on the left, whether it's organised trade union left or left parties, for long-term, hard slog political education. It's just about the next electoral cycle. And, and the fact that can't, people can't see that is the concern the fact that they don't understand that even if you win electoral power you haven't fucking won power yeah. and if they were politically educated they'd get that you know yeah. so there's a real chicken egg thing going on there so but our job is just to, is to do what we've always done and do what everyone on the left has done is just keep keep at it i suppose you know until there's a breakthrough i mean on the electoral sorry sorry go ahead paul on the electoralism, I mean, it's even more depressing, especially in the Irish context, because, because everybody in the Irish Labour movement, including the Irish Labour Party, um, with complete absence of, of shame or, or sort of anything, will, will, will fly the banner of Connolly. You know what I mean? And of course, Connolly's mm. point was that he, Connolly, well, one of Connolly's many arguments was that you shouldn't be under any illusions. The fight for the control of the political state isn't the battle; it's the echo of the battle. You know what I mean, and this and this again is a key insight. It's, again, it's not it's not just a pithy slogan. It's a key insight that power in capitalist society. And again, this goes back to why political education is important. So you explain you work with people and, and build an understanding of how capitalism is the fourth social system that separates out political and economic power, and how it's economic power that's determined in, in the sort of final instance, and how that even if you do win elections. If Corbyn hadn't won an election here, he wouldn't have transformed Britain in the way in which he thought there would have been all sorts of threats and ways in which he was undermined. So just getting that, conveying that point to people is important. But on the thing about political education, Steve, as well, 
it is unfortunate it's the same in britain i think part of the reason why there isn't and there hasn't been so one of it is a lack of vision and a lack of understanding but the other one is pragmatic concern and it's not just yeah. the right that's concerned by political education it's segments of the um careerist electoral left but also the bureaucratic, bureaucratic union as well i can't remember who it was but one of the one of the advisors to nixon around the time when the black panthers were sort of building educational programs he said to him we're running the real risk here of seeing the emergence of an educated proletariat and that would be dynamite this was a sort of war into nixon and that and that same sort of thing runs through every sort of bureaucracy they look at that and they go we don't want their members coming along and, and asking questions about x y and z we want them to pay their dues to sort of turn up on on strike days to vote in elections and other than that we don't really want them to be engaged and that is an issue i remember just going to say that one of the reasons that we are despised by certain elements within the Irish Trade Union movement is with the millwall of the Irish Labour movement. No one likes <laughs> that fucking game. <laughs> is because we were doing that work. Um, yeah. uh, you know, we were doing that work in communities among uh, late trade union activists uh, at a time when the bigger. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but the bigger unions <laughs> within within Ireland were firmly in support and linked to the, the establishment and the status quo and the implementation yeah. of water charges for, for a period until that policy was overturned. And I think that the same sort of thing is is with us now. Um, that the same those same interests within the Irish Trade Union movement uh, would quite happily take a social partnership mark too if it was table. Yeah. That is the ethos that is deeply embedded in the Irish Trade Union movement and has been since like the 1940s, um, at least. Um, so any political education that seeks to critique or understand the system or even look at social partnership in its first incarnation um, isn't going to suit that, that agenda. Steve, do you want to come in there? This is, there's two things I want to say. One thing is we, we did a session with a particular trade union, I'll not say who it was, and Sean said, what's the session on it? It was with all of their senior officials. So we got in to talk to senior officials, and I said, it's a critique of social partnership, Sean. You know, have a go at the Labour Party and blah, blah, blah. So Sean went in and fucking absolutely tore fucking shreds. And I mean, like, scalpel-like. Just tore fucking muscle and sinew off the fucking whole concept <laughs> of the history of the Labour Party as class traitors and betrayers and of social partnership. And then we, we thought that was great, and we left. And apparently, we met one of the lads in the pub afterwards. And went, "Fuck me!" He says nine out of ten people. And then we were in the Labour Party. For <laughs> <old>. so, <laughs> we called we called it the what do we call it? The, the, well, I won't say the name of the union, but it was the fiasco. name of the union. It was the name of the union fiasco, which was renamed yeah. the name of the union massacre. He <laughs> the, Labour Party. I wanted, the other point I wanted to make is that we did since about 2017 to about 16 we did quite a lot of work actually over in England with, with Unite our own union but also with groups that were linked to Unite and Momentum and kind of yeah. crossover groups and stuff and I remember one time doing a session on finance capital in the city of London the role of finance organisation and I started, said if I said if you win power here in, in Britain and I said it's a big if you know and at the time I wasn't convinced and I think many of us were convinced there was any chance that the Corbyn going to get a government but I said when you win power you'll actually meet real fucking power yeah, yeah. If, if you let some sort of left social democratic government into Labour and, he, and you think you're going to start renationalizing things and introducing yeah. capital controls, which would float about at the time, the idea that John McDonald's going to introduce capital controls to stop capital, yeah. you're going to fucking see where real power lies and it won't be, yeah. like, it won't be in your government. And they yeah. all looked at me as if I was mental. And I thought, yeah. well, I don't even understand the concept of, as you said, that division of political and economic power that, you know, yeah. power is where the fucking game is. Political yeah. power, winning political power is part of that. But it's only the start of the battle because exactly. if you accept that winning political power is the end, then you're already lost. 
exactly. And if you're only focused on that, you've already lost. That's the thing. Is that and again, mm-hmm. this this is this is precisely what happened in 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 the carbon moment. I mean, again, it is. I think one of the things as well is to put it in context because again, people people on a, on a human level, people are absolutely exhausted and and sort of demoralised from having it because people have put their best into this. You know what I mean? They put their the genuine good faith best efforts into this, but they're operating again. This is one of the things about political education. Sort of Marx's idea that you make your own history, but not on the conditions of your own choosing. Right? They they entered into this. People who became newly politicised or engaged in the last five, six, seven years, they entered into this at the tail end of about a hundred years of working class and socialist defeat. Basically, you know, a couple of little interruptions in between, but like after the Russian Revolution, but then the defeat of the to the aborted German Revolution and the execution of Rosa Luxemburg. Pretty much since then, we've been on the back foot in different ways. You know, we've had the welfare state, but even the welfare state was a compromise that capital was happy to accept in a very specific set of economic circumstances. And soon jettisoned once capital couldn't really afford it anymore, or couldn't choose to afford it anymore. But that is an important point. If people had, who are doing that political education and understanding that history and understanding where we are, you wouldn't. Have the sort of voluntarist impulses that you have. That oh, we can get in there. We can get the. We can get state power and then turn things around. We can legislate for expert. This is what the left learned again through, through hard lessons over a hundred years. But on that division of of economic and political power, um, Hilary Mantel in one of her novels, I think it's probably Bring Up the Bodies or something, she's got a great line on this. And again, I don't I don't know her politics, so I, I'm not sure where she's standing this. But she got this great line where someone's talking to one of the one of the royals and. And says you think that your power resides in your uh, turrets and your sort of uh, fortifications and so forth. It doesn't. Real power relies. Uh, real power resides in the counting houses of Venice. You know what I mean? This is back in. This is a pre a pre capitalist era. But that line captures that idea. You know, I mean, this is this is the truth. And you saw it with Labour. I mean, it's one of the things that around the whole Brexit issue and so forth, and, and how Labour compromised its position there. And, and some people who are who are new newer to politics and and, and and relatively. And again, I come from the Irish Republican tradition where where sort of charges of sellout are a ten of pennies or we're all sort of uh, aware of that but, but when, when Labour went down that route some people were looking at John McDonnell and others and going oh he's a sellout he's a traitor da, da, da. and I was trying to have this conversation well I fundamentally disagreed with the position they adopted I was having these conversations and trying to say well no, you have to understand how state power works this is how state power disciplines reformist political organisations so I think John McDonnell is a decent uh, fella and a long time uh, socialist when Labour had the whiff of potential political power he would have had uh, sort of Civil senior civil servants, people from finance, people from all the sort of large industries in Britain, having a war with them and saying, "Look, this is what will fly and this is what won't fly." And then Labour. Sorry, yeah. Tim, I'm just going to, because in terms of re- remembering history and using history as an example, you'd think that would be natural to leftists. But the point you're yeah. making, all you, you only have to go back to the mid 1970s to Labour's alternative yeah. economic strategy. Exactly. And, and, and all of the shenanigans around there. That at one point, the Sunday Times had an article that says, "Listen, if, if this goes ahead." And there's a yeah. serious threat to ownership. We're going to, the only people we can rely on are the British Army and the commanders. Yeah. And there was a threat in the Sunday Times. And they basically said, we're going to have a coup. And there was, as we know now, in the background yeah. preparations for a coup in Britain in case yeah. electric charge. And that's, you only have to go back. That's only 40 years ago. You have to go back to, to understand that that's, that's how serious this is. And that's where real fucking power lies. It doesn't have yeah. lies the parliament lies after it. Which goes back to the earlier point we were discussing, the importance of building independent working class power and organisations separate from the Labour Party, but that would intersect with it at certain points. Because again, the thing was is that part of the failures of Corbynism is that there wasn't that independent working class uh, extra parliamentary force. Isfan Mazaros has an expression that I think is, so I think Isfan Mazaros is one of the most important Marxist theorists of the last hundred years, but he is a bit clunky and a bit tricky to read at points. But he's got this lovely expression where he says, capitalism is the extra parliamentary force par excellence and socialism has to meet it on those terms. And this is the problem is that socialist narrow 
what all the people on the left, not even sort of socialists, people on the, on the left, broadly speaking, um, social democrats of various uh, points, they, they sort of just look at parliament and think if we can win that, well then we're, we're done. We're actually capital and capitalism understand, you know, and the, and the capitalist class understand that it's much more than that and how, uh, how many of the aces that they hold, which is why if we are building, if we had been building, if we had strong independent trade unions and working class organisations and campaigns that were pressurising labour over the last three or four years, rather than sort of the biggest waitrose queues in history uh, calling for a second EU referendum, which was the extra parliamentary force on them. And so because there wasn't the, because there wasn't the working class uh, power, the working class extra parliamentary force, Labour buckled in that context. Because Labour, again, because, because they are an electoral force, they have to engage in all of this sort of um, triangulating cretinism of trying to figure out how they can possibly extract the most votes in a particular position rather than having a principal position and trying to push that uh, forward and that's where we ended up and that's sort of part of where we are You're right this is the thing that understand, understanding the nature of power is so crucial and if you don't have political education people will think in a very sort of idealistic way that it's in parliament if we can get a nice person elected that will change things or worst case scenario they'll think it's the illuminati or, or someone else you know what i mean because they think power they've got a sense of power somewhere and part of what political education is explaining that to people how that works. Yeah, I think I think the parliamentary sphere and uh, you know legislation is important because it helps. Of course, it helps you. It's it strengthens your position for the next sort of stage of the battle, I suppose. But you have to have that army of expert parliamentary forces behind you uh, in the communities and and in the trade unions. The the number one to keep you honest and number two to to take capital to task whenever you are trying to actually implement some sort of change. There's something there, though, as well about the absence of working class agency, that, that part of that whole Euro-communist betrayal of the 1970s, this idea of pooling sovereignty in supranational bodies, this idea of handing over sovereignty and handing over power. Better put, for me, that's found its way right the way down to communities in the sense of no one thinks they have any power to change anything, so we need to get someone else elected or we need to hand over power to a, to a supranational body to do it for us. And, you know, that, that kind of mentality is fucking everywhere now, and that's, that's a real danger. And, and that's why there's such a need to, as you said, through political education to build working class empowerment that we collectively can change the world. And, yeah. and then Con- Conley said it, you know, that, that's what we want the fucking earth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, funny enough, a, a, good, a good comrade of mine, he's in Belgium now, and he messaged me something the other day. I, I, think, I can't remember the exact context. It was something to do with Labour or, or whatever it was. I know it was Airtrade Air Union, UCU, and, and which hasn't been great. And he messaged me back in response to a development. He went, that's better than nothing. And I replied to him and I went, well, that's our historic horizon now. It used to be we only want the earth, and now it's, it's better than nothing. But we have to, so again, think about we only want the earth and so forth. Again, but this is why Condi is so important. I mean, I, you know, like there's, there's obviously been generations now of Marxist scholars and all that, but why Condi is so important, like John McLean and others, is because he was a working class revolutionary who grasped all the essentials of the theory, who understood that his stuff on, on sort of nationalism and socialism is still relevant today. When people are having these debates, some people in the British left are talking about developing progressive nationalism, which is impossible uh, in the British context. You know, but, but having these debates and Condi's done that. But what you would just saying there about the resignation and so forth and, and sort of looking like, like surrendering to a higher um, sub, uh, regional authority or whatever it is to make these decisions. That goes back to what you're saying about the Irish labour movement. They're, they're, they've bought lock, stock and barrel into that. So now rather than actually fight for workers' rights, they'll cling to the shreds of EU labour legislation, which has been torn up by the EU itself through various programmes. Dave Gibney wrote a good piece about it uh, for your blog as well. Ashbourne Wall uh, has written an excellent book on, on sort of the welfare state and the labour movement its relationship to the EU. But that is a product of defeat. So rather than actually have 
have any faith in the capacity of working class people to change their own conditions. These sort of labor bureaucrats and, and sort of social democrat careerists in, in the labor party and so forth will look to the existing institutional arrangements for the crumbs. You know what I mean? They don't even, you know, not only do they not want the air, they, they just want the absolute bare <laughs> minimum. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll take absolutely anything at this stage and count that as a victory. And again, that's, a, that's an important material. So again, one of the things you have to do in political education, and we, we're walking through various strands of the socialist tradition and the Marxism and so forth, but the sort of historical materialist understanding is important because, again, there's a material basis for this defeatism. There's a material basis for these ideas, and it, we absolutely should challenge the ideas, but then we also have to do the work of building a material structural alternative to it. And that's where I say it's completely unglamorous. It's a sort of um, old mole of history sort of thing. We're basically going to have to go underground for a bit now and just sort of build the, the sort foundations for serious working class organization and then how that will manifest in the future we can't say in advance i mean like whether we need new political parties i mean i, I do think we need political organization we need disciplined socialist organization uh, marta harnica has written a lot on this and i like the idea she has the political instrument uh, that you need this to sort of coordinate with i think we do need that i think in britain it has to be separate from labor but it has to relate to labor in some way purely because of the constitutional and historical uh, circumstances here you can't you can't bypass it but there's no point in going into labor individually or as a handful of socialists with no coherent, coherent and clear ideas and getting tossed around with labor bureaucracy you go into it as a wedge as a disciplined group of educated and organized uh, working class sort of activists or you don't go into it at all that's that's my view and again i think that people are learning these lessons in different way <coughs> different ways the real danger you talked on it earlier uh, stevie and sean as well is that because of these defeats of electoral projects there'll be a period now where a section of the left of the newly politicized people go down the other end of the the sort of spectrum and think that everything has to be sort of uh, autonomous and sort of direct action and only trade union work where and again we've done this before you know so, so again it's not it's not a simple case of either or it's a case though, of building um sustainable working class organizations that have learned these lessons that can pass those lessons on to future generations of activists and can avoid mistakes rather than having to make them in order to learn the lesson uh, in the first place so that's the challenge and then you, you said it earlier on about time it really really is. I mean, time is... So I supported Corbyn. I was out in the last election, even though I knew Labour had lost the election. I was out in the last election campaign and for people like Laura Smith, who was a fantastic Labour MP, one of the few who would have any time for it, really. Unfortunately, she lost her seat, but I supported the whole Corbyn thing with no illusions about what it was. And, and even then, we were trying to build things outside, alongside and outside Labour, because we, we'd always need that. You know what I mean? And because we haven't done it now, this is a real moment of sort of recomposition and time is running out. I mean, it genuinely is in terms of in terms of what's coming down the road with the climate, in terms of the scale of this economic crisis, which hasn't even really hit yet. It'll probably be later this year before we actually start to feel the, the real sort of repercussions of it. And the rise of the right, which is very serious, uh, funnily enough, less so in Britain than it is elsewhere in Europe. Britain is one of the mm. least sort of um, well-developed far-right sort of uh, infrastructures. There, there's obviously clowns like Tommy Robinson and that, um, but they're, they're sort of a distraction from what's really going on here. So we've got very serious challenges. We're starting most, with, most of the right in Britain are just happy that Boris Johnson in government. They don't feel they need exactly. to organise because they've got no, a lot exactly. of right-wing leaders, so they're quite happy they've got a kind of a racist in, in charge. I think there's, exactly. there's been a convergence there rather than... Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the far right elements have drifted into the Conservative Party where they belong. Yeah. So, like Stevie, it's really it's just a case of mucking, as as Paul said, mucking in and getting back the basics. I think we we have dreamed of establishing actual schools of socialism across 
across yeah. in Donegal and elsewhere, where you would learn Irish half the day and you would le- you would learn Marxist theory the other. Um, I, I suppose it's just it's mucking in and just getting back to basics and, and working with the small number of people who are doing this sort of work. Paul made the point, there's nothing new under the sun. We've done this before. If people knew their history, they'd know what to do next. You know, and so that's that's part of the issue. Political education is not just about it's not just about sitting in the past and talking about the past. It's what the past teaches about what you need to be doing now and what we need to be actually doing for the next ten years. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, well, I think I, I think we've come up to about an hour there, have we? We nearly segued into a discussion on a half an hour discussion on the EU. <laughs> no, no, yeah, not, no, 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 no more of that. <laughs> no more yeah. of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll leave that for another day, and that's it. Yeah. Starts. Paul's Paul's had that. <laughs> He's written about that uh, extensively in, in other places. Listen, Paul. Thanks very much for joining. Thanks us. for having me on. Comments. that, you. we'll have to get you on again. And Steve. Anytime. Thanks as always. Uh, Keep up the great work, comments.